Well, yesterday we started with a question, what is God doing in me right now in this season? And the exciting answer we saw from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 was this, Jesus is transforming me into his own image with ever-increasing glory. How is he doing that? Well, yesterday we saw it's transformation through contemplation. Jesus transforms us into his own image by his spirit as we contemplate the Lord Jesus in the gospel passed down to us. That is, word and spirit work together to transform you with ever-increasing glory. We're going to fill out this picture a bit more by looking at another passage. So if you can take up your Bible and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. I'll give you a moment to find that. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. If you want to take some notes as we go along, there's an outline in the Ancon booklet. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. This is what Paul writes. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Paul is sharing with them his prayer for them. I'm going to put it up on the screen because I want to, want to draw your attention to a few different things here. Let's have a look at this little passage out of Paul's letter to the Colossians. The first thing we want to notice here is that there's a particular aim in mind of Paul's prayer. It's a prayer that they would lead lives worthy of the Lord, lives that are pleasing to God, lives that are full of good works. That's the goal of the prayer. But notice four things about how this transformation, this transformed life is going to happen. First of all, it starts with a knowledge of God's will. This is the first thing Paul asks for in verse 9, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And then it appears again at the end of verse 10, as you grow in the knowledge of God. The transformed, fruitful Christian life starts with growing in the knowledge of God. Now, where does this knowledge of God come from? Well, just a few sentences earlier in Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, Paul talks about how the Colossians heard the word of truth, the gospel, and how this gospel is now bearing fruit and growing all over the world. So this fruitful knowledge of God comes through going deeper into the gospel about Jesus. Transformation starts with contemplation. It starts with God's word. Second thing to notice. Notice that this transformation is a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. In verse 9, Paul prays they be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God's word and spirit always work together. And to grow in the knowledge of God is to grow in spiritual wisdom. And we're going to come back to this connection between God's word and spirit in a moment. Third thing to notice, the transformation is not passive on our part. 
In verse 10, it results in leading a life worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in good works. In verse 11, it results in persevering whatever comes with patience. And in verses 11 and 12, it results in joyfully giving thanks to the Father as you grasp more deeply his grace to you. The transformation is not just in our mind or our heart, it's lived out in our lives as we cooperate with God's spirit and walk in obedience to his word. And then fourth and finally, note that this is a prayer for the Colossians together. It's a corporate prayer. It's not just about them individually, but them being transformed together into the image of Jesus. Paul is very explicit about this later in the letter. In chapter 3, verse 16, he urges them to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Our transformation happens amongst God's people. So to draw those thoughts together, how does God transform us into Jesus' image? Well, it's through his word. It's by his spirit. It's in our obedience. And it's amongst his people. Now, I find that a really useful summary that's worth remembering. It captures that it's God's work in me as well as requiring my cooperative obedience. It captures that it's both his word and his spirit working together within me. And it captures that it's my individual transformation, but happening corporately. It happens amongst and with the assistance of God's people. And we're going to think more about the corporate aspect of God's transformation of us on Thursday. Today, we're going to explore the word, spirit and obedient parts of this particular summary. So let's keep going. Point to take away so far is this. If you want to be spiritually transformed into Jesus' image with ever-increasing glory, you can't bypass God's word. You can't bypass his word here for us in the Bible because God's word and his spirit are inseparable. Time and time again throughout the Bible, God's word and spirit are inextricably linked. Saw this yesterday, actually, in 2 Corinthians 3. Our inward spiritual transformation happens through contemplation of the Lord Jesus, which is communicated to us in the word of God. And in Ephesians 6, 17, which is there on your outline, we're told that the spirit's sword is the word of God. So if you long for the spirit to be powerfully active in your life, you need to be listening to God's word. Now, that might raise a few questions. I'm going to take a little bit of time here to, to think about some questions we often hear. What about those heightened spiritual moments? You know, maybe I'm there singing at church and the music is just great and I feel the emotional wave flowing through me. Isn't Surely that's the spirit doing something in me at that point, isn't it? Well, it's not necessarily a spiritual experience. It, it may just be a musical experience. See, a spirit-driven Christian experience has spirit-breathed content. It's about God the Father and his Son, Jesus our Lord, because that's what the Spirit does. He points us to Jesus. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 26, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify 
on my behalf. The Spirit's delight is to point you to Jesus. So spiritual experiences will be Christ-centered ones. But that might pose a second question. Can't I have a spiritual experience independent of the Bible? Do I always have to have my Bible open to be growing spiritually? Now, answering that needs some care. Ultimately, we can't bypass the Bible. Not if we're going to hear God's word. You might sometimes hear people say, well, I feel like God is saying to me, or you just need to listen to God in prayer. Let's think this through. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that God has spoken to us through his prophets and ultimately in his son, Jesus. And the means he's given us of accessing that knowledge of his son, Jesus, is through Jesus' chosen apostles and the record of their authoritative testimony in the New Testament. So that's why Peter encourages the Christians in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2. He says, you should remember the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour spoken through your apostles. Since the scriptures are the only authoritative source for knowledge of Jesus, they're the key for true spiritual growth. You don't need a course on listening to the voice of God or discerning the voice of the Almighty. God has spoken and is speaking to you through his breathed words recorded in these pages of the Bible. You might say, but hang on, might not God speak directly to me? Well, he might. But he doesn't promise to speak to you independently of this word that he's already spoken to you. It's as we listen, actually, to what he has already said that the Spirit applies those words to our hearts. This in the Bible is not a dead word. In the power of Jesus' Spirit within you, his word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So I'm not saying that God can't directly speak to you. He can do whatever he wants. I have friends who've had that rare experience of hearing an audible voice as God spoke to them. But if he does speak directly to you, it won't be something at odds with what he's already said in the Bible. God doesn't contradict himself. And he reassures us, actually, that what he's already told us here in the Bible is completely adequate for what you and I need to know and love him. So again, Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, His divine power has given everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us. By his own glory and goodness. So whatever God might tell you in this light, it'll be a kind of bonus from God. He's already given you everything you need. But how would I know whether it is actually God speaking to me and not just, I don't know, my own imagination or even some other unclean spiritual power? Well, you have to test it against what God has already said what he's already said to us in his authoritative word in the Bible. Again, God does not contradict himself. And finally, you might say, but, but might not the spirit grow me without my Bible open? Well, yes, but it will conform to God's word, even if not immediately and directly prompted by it. I'll give you an example. 
I'm driving my car. Suddenly, I remember my friend Zach and a conversation we had last week where he shared he was having a really hard time. So as I'm driving along, I, just, I pray. I pray that God would strengthen Zach, that he'd not be anxious, and that Zach would push through staying faithful to God. Now, what just happened there? Was God telling me to pray for Zach? Or was it just my brain remembering a conversation? Well, maybe it was God. Maybe it was his spirit prompting me to remember Zach. God never says in the Bible that he won't do things like that. But he also never promises that every thought we have are necessarily from him. Maybe it was just me remembering under his sovereign hand. So I don't know if the thought was God speaking to me or not. But I do know that the step I took to pray for him, that is the work of God's spirit in me. That's God transforming my character and my convictions and my passions and my priorities to be more like Jesus. I didn't have my Bible open, but the shape of my response to remembering Zach was guided by God's word in the Bible. He encourages us to pray for one another. See, if I, when I'd remembered Zach, instead of praying, I'd quickly pulled over, jumped out of the car and done 10 star jumps, shouting Zach's name with each one, Zach, Zach. Now, that would be odd. And it certainly wouldn't be the work of God's spirit because there's nothing in the Bible about doing star jumps when someone is in trouble. It's when our actions are shaped by God's word, that's spiritual transformation. So when we remind each other of truths found in the Bible, that's actually a spiritually powered moment. Even if we don't have our Bibles open because it's conforming to God's word, which tells us to encourage one another with his truth. When I sing a Christian song with my mind engaged and am reminded of God's truths through the lyrics, that's a word spirit moment of inner transformation. God's word and his spirit work together inseparably because God is one, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, it's worth pausing here and remembering for a moment how absolutely significant God's word is in your life. Every aspect of your life as a Christian is tied to God's word. You became a Christian through God's word. James 1.18 says, God gave us birth by the word of truth. God's word sustains you as a follower of Jesus. In Matthew 4.4, Jesus says, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's actually obedience to God's word that marks us out as Jesus' family. In Luke chapter 8, verse 21, Jesus says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And according to Jesus' parable of the soils in Mark chapter 4, to be his disciple means the word of God bears much fruit in your life. And it's God's word in scripture that, that equips us to live for God. 2 Timothy 3.16, we're told, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every aspect of your life as a Christian is dependent upon the word of God. We come to faith through that word. We're sustained in faith by his word. We're conformed to the image of Jesus through his word. 
So if we want Jesus to transform us into his image with ever-increasing glory, we need to be listening to his word. So I have a proposition for you. If I could guarantee that God would speak to you personally, how much would you be willing to pay me? It would be amazing to have God speak to you, yes? To have him speak to you and shape your life and grant you new insights into his character and his purposes, answer the big questions of life, to have him provide you with wisdom to live through the day, to hear him spell out his promises to you, to have him guide the way you move through your day, helping you know how to handle situations and relationships and decisions. How much would you be willing to pay for that sort of divine involvement in your life? And if I said to you, well, I have the answer inside this box here, a device through which God will speak into your life each day, would you want it? If it was absolutely certain that it was 100% genuine and effective, if it was legit, how much would you be willing to pay? How long would you line up to buy it? You see the irony, of course. Why is it that we don't esteem God's word to us here in the Bible like this? What's gone wrong in our thinking? How ironic, I think, that we often feel like we're dying of thirst, spiritually parched in our Christian walk, when we have God's word, powerful, unfailingly effective, given for our sustenance and growth. It's sitting right there next to us. I guess it's more than ironic. It's tragic. It's like someone dying of thirst in the middle of a downpour. Is that us sitting, sitting there wondering why are we so spiritually dry when God's life-giving word is right there unopened on our shelf or on our phone? Even more than tragic, when you think about it, it's quite arrogant of us. It's disrespectful of God and therefore quite dangerous. To complain of no vitality in our Christian life, no enthusiasm for God, when we're not even willing to listen to what he has to say. What's going on here? What, what is the diagnosis of our problem? Is it a matter of discipline? Is it just that we're not self-disciplined enough to read it? If only I could get up earlier, establish a better routine or something like that. Look, I don't think the real answer is a new routine or greater disciplinary regimes. Though those can be helpful and we'll get to them later. I think the real problem is how we regard the Bible. We've forgotten what a treasure it is because we're constantly forgetful of whose word it is. The first step towards treasuring God's word is to start seeing the Bible for what it is, God speaking to you. See, I wonder if part of our problem is that we've anonymized the Bible. It has become just another book with a faceless author, and we therefore have diminished expectation that it'll change us or transform us or encourage us. And so maybe part of the answer is to grasp again the privilege, the preciousness of hearing God speak. When you look at that Bible sitting on your shelf or next to your bed or on your phone, what do you see? Maybe you need to see words of gold, words writ not in human hand or digital pixels, but gleaming with the divine spirit of God. Here is God speaking to you so that you can be transformed into Jesus' image with greater and greater glory. 
I think the second thing we need to remember is that God's word is a word of incredible power. Remember, God spoke and the universe came into being. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And through that same word, God, we know, will judge the whole universe and bring about the destruction of all evil. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the godless. And you see glimpses of the power of God's word when Jesus casts out evil spirits with a word, when he heals diseases just with a word, when he calms the storm with a command, when he forgives people their sin. And I mentioned it before, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, reminds us the spirit's sword is no dead, blunt word. We're told the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. A two-edged sword is pretty sharp, one that separates the flesh from the bone, that cuts deep. That's God's word in your life. It's living and active. If you let it, it will pierce you deep, exposing and judging your thoughts and desires in order to transform you into Jesus' image with greater and greater glory. Moreover, God's word is unfailingly productive. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11 reminds us that God's word never returns to him empty. It always accomplishes his purpose in the hearts of those who listen. In the power of his spirit within you, God's word will be incredibly powerful in your life. There's 150 psalms in the Bible, but the longest one, by a long way, you may know, is Psalm 119, which is a massive exclamation of the preciousness of God's word. And maybe that's no accident. Maybe God knows that we all need a massive, regular reminder of how precious his word is. The author of Psalm 119 sets us an example of what it looks like to treasure God's word. I want you to see some of these explanation, these exclamations from Psalm 119. Let me get it up on the screen. Let me read through some of these exclamations from the psalm. Open my eyes, writes the psalmist, so that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Your decrees are my delight. They are my counsellors. I run the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your decrees are my heritage Forever, they are the joy of my heart. My heart is set to perform your statutes forever 
to the end. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. With open mouth, I pant because I long for your commandments. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. There's a picture of what it means to treasure God's word. Someone who wants the spirit to wield his sword in their life. But how do I grow in that sort of love for God's word? Well, a bit of realism about love. The love for God's word that lasts is not the love at first sight sort of love. It's not the love of momentary infatuation. Sometimes you might have those sort of feelings about God's word in scripture where you just can't get enough of it, where you're desperately hungry for it. But in relationships, that sort of love doesn't usually live in the long term. And that doesn't mean that love becomes absent in long-term relationships. On the contrary, long-term love is fed by a will, a commitment, a deliberate listening to the other person. Out of that, love is strengthened and deepened. Now, I wonder if the same dynamic is at work in our love for God and his word. It's as we deliberately attend to him in his word, as we listen to him, heed what he says, and as our life changes in response, we find our love for him and his word then grows. See, we need to jump on the upward spiral where spending time listening to God and his word grows us more in the image of Jesus. And so as we're transformed into his image, our hunger for God's word grows and we spend more time listening to him and round and round we go in ever increasing glory. And if that's right, then the answer to how do I grow a hunger for God's word is not sit back and wait for God to do it in you. That's to fall into the negative spiral of Passivity, when not spending time listening to God and his word, means I fall away from Jesus' image and more into the ways and thinking of the world, which means I feel less and less like making the effort to open up the Bible and hear what God has to say. You might be pretty familiar with that negative spiral. But in the power of God, it's not hard to get off that negative spiral. The answer is to start reading the scriptures. Start listening. Start even in a small way. Attend to what God is to say to you. Start being fed. And then you might realize just how hungry you are, how his word really does satisfy you. Now, a word of caution here. It's important to remember that reading the Bible or listening to God's word, that's the menu, not the meal. See, no one goes to the cafe, grabs hold of the menu, eagerly reads every line and then says, that's it, satisfy. Delighting in the menu is not the point. The point is the meal. Our goal is not read the Bible. No, knowing God is the goal. To be loving him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. The Bible is the menu. Knowing him is the meal. If you stop to notice it, you'll see it all the way through Psalm 119. The psalmist directs almost every verse to God about his word. 
It's not a psalm praising God's word. It's a psalm praising God for his word. Our heart is for God. That's why we delight in listening to his word. So our goal is not and must not merely be have a personal quiet time, a daily time of personal devotion. No, the goal is to know, love and serve God more and more and for him to be inwardly transforming me into the image of Jesus as I listen to his word, however that happens. So how do we actually do this? What could it look like? Real transformation only comes as God's word is massaged into our life. It's not good if it just washes over us. We need to really listen to what God is saying, not just, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. In Deuteronomy 6, God's people were given this instruction. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God's word is to be retained in our heart. We're to treasure it. We're to talk about God's word together across the generations at any time of day or night. It's to be present in all of our life and our conversation as a way of getting it into our heart. And one way the Bible talks about this process is by meditating on God's word. Now, this is not the sort of meditation you might have heard of from Buddhism or Eastern mysticism. That sort of meditation is a deliberate attempt to empty your mind. And that's actually the opposite of the meditation the Bible speaks of. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with part of God's word. So in Psalm 119 again, seven times the psalmist talks about meditating on God's word. One example from verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. The psalmist is chewing over God's word like a piece of chewing gum, working it over and over. Now, I had a friend who bought a cheap paper Bible and each week would rip out a page. And as she walked to uni each day that week, she'd read that page, just thinking about what God had to say in this part of his word. And she'd just read that page of God's word for a week, thinking about it, getting it into her head, massaging it into her soul. That's meditating on God's word. Uh, Jim Packer describes it like this, and I'll try and put it up on the screen for you. Jim Packer, Christian author, writes it like this. He says, meditation is an activity of holy thought consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. Its purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God and to let his truth make its full and proper impact on one's mind and heart.
meditations is giving the spirit time to wield his sword through your life as you actively ponder his word. What's the real benefit of that sort of reflection on God's word? It means it'll be more at the forefront of your thoughts as you go through your day. Have a listen to what was expected of Joshua when he took over from Moses in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. God says to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that's written in it. Meditating on God's word has, was a way to keep Joshua walking in God's ways day by day. And it's the same for us. And this is key because the point of listening to God and his word is to be chained by it, to live it out in obedience to God. According to the book of James, to be a hearer of God's word, but not a doer of his word, is to be, frankly, a bit thick, a bit dumb. This is what he says in James chapter 1, verses 23 to 25. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I mean, you would have to be a bit dim, wouldn't you, to immediately forget what you look like? But that's what we are like when we just listen to what God says with no impact in a life lived. Surely God's word must have some impact on my character, convictions, passions, or priorities. And so James continues, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. So if we want God to transform us into his spirit, by Jesus, into, into, sorry, by his spirit into Jesus' image with ever-increasing glory, we need to look intently into what he says. We need to meditate on it, massage it into our soul and do it, put it into practice in the power of his spirit. We should expect to live differently and to love differently and to think differently, make decisions differently as a result of listening to what God has to say because he's transforming us into Jesus' image through his word and by his spirit in our obedience. So I want to encourage you to get on the upward spiral. Start listening to God in his word and let the spirit wield his sword in your life and be transformed by him into Jesus' image with greater and greater glory. How can you do that? Well, God has given us incredible freedom about how to do it. And it's not about conforming to a set pattern of personal Bible reading, not even about having a regular or standard quiet time at all. That's confusing maybe the goal with actually the means. What we're going to do now is talk about some different ways of listening to God's word together with today's panel guests. Uh, and today we have with us both Caleb, who's uh, in fourth year primary ed, and Eleanor, who's doing MTeach uh, in the first year of her MTeach degree, uh, having already finished her arts degree. So great to have you with us, Eleanor and Caleb. And if you guys want to uh, unmute yourselves, then um, we're going to have a little chat about some different ways that you've experienced of engaging with God in his word. Um, so we might sort of start with you, Eleanor. Uh, I'm interested in different ways that uh, you might have engaged with God's word. What have you done to get more of God's word into your life? Uh, something I found to be really helpful is actually reading the Bible with other people. I think like you were saying, Rowan, sometimes we sort of hang around waiting for the real desire to want to do it. And then it's very easy to just keep putting it off. But instead, I found it really helpful to have like a time of 
meeting up with people or like calling people about um, what I've been reading. So it's like a kind of kicks me into action. Like, oh, I'm calling someone tomorrow and I haven't read the Bible passage we're meant to be talking about. And so that kind of forces me to do it. And then when I get to that, I really, I really enjoy it. And it's really joyful. So it can kind of feel like giving myself deadlines, like an assignment, but I think actually what it ends up doing is just, it forces me to do it. And then when I get there, I really enjoy it. And it's really valuable. Um, another way I've been doing it is through reading Christian books. I think when I lack motivation, having someone else explain what the word of God means to me or hearing a sermon, reading Christian books with lots of Bible passages quoted means that um, I'm seeing it through someone else's eyes and I'm kind of getting their enthusiasm for it. And that kind of rubs off onto me. And then I can also have a fresh perspective when I'm feeling a bit like, oh, I don't really want to read the Bible. Um, yeah, I found that really helpful. That's really helpful. That's sort of two different ways of getting on that upward spiral, sort of by, by saying, I am going to meet with this other person and we're going to talk about what we've been reading in God's word together. That gets you onto that upward spiral, doesn't it? Then you do mm. it and you go, oh, actually, that was really good. <laughs> I, mm. why I didn't want to do that myself before. Um, and same with reading Christian books. I think that's fantastic. Um, Caleb, how about you? What are some different ways that you've uh, found to engage with God's word? How's that worked out for you? Yeah, I can, I can probably think of two main ones as well, actually. Um, listening to God's word, I found really, really helpful, um, particularly as a way to actually get on that upward spiral when, when it's feeling particularly difficult and things. I find listening is a really accessible way. Um, I'm, I'm sure lots of other people have experienced that as well. But particularly, um, I actually remember a couple of years ago, I was driving back to where I, I lived or grew up to visit my family a few hours drive and um, I listened to the book of Romans for the first time. And, you know, I'd, I'd interacted with that book before in different ways, like at youth group or at church, or um, I, I think I'd read it for myself a couple of times as well. And um, actually listening to it in its entirety, you know, it's only, it's just under an hour actually to listen to, but listening to it in its entirety was really helpful in getting an understanding of the whole sweep of that book. And that, that was actually just really formative for me. And, and I've really enjoyed listening to other parts of scripture since. Um, another, another thing that I've really benefited from is actually, um, trying to commit a lot of God's word to memory, trying to, trying to memorize, um, large portions of God's word as a way of, um, helping me to slow down and, and, and meditate on God's word and, and yeah, try and massage it into my life. Cause I just find myself often reading and, and not really paying attention to what I'm reading and things like that. So that's helping me to slow down. Um, so you're you're not talking about just occasional Bible verse, like memory verse, like from you know if you were a kid in Sunday yeah, school, no, you might like learn a memory I, verse. You're yeah, trying, you're talking about learning larger sections of the Bible. Yeah, so I, I'm actually I'm actually working through the Book of Romans at the moment. Maybe that was started by that car trip, but <laughs> yeah, that's um. So actually really, memorize your goal is over the long term to memorize the whole of the Book of Romans. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, is that even humanly possible? Uh, I, I think it's very possible. I don't actually think it's that amazing. <laughs> um, I think right. people have done far, far um, more amazing things, but it's, it's just been really beneficial. Um, yeah, so uh, I've just found that really helpful kind of How work. do you actually go about even starting to learn a larger section of script? I mean, I can understand that. Are you sort of getting it in your mind like that? Just then it comes to mind at different times of the mm. day or in different situations. Yeah, absolutely. How do you go, how are you going about actually learning? Just like, do you cram it in and sort of just 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's it's not um not rocket science. Like, I'm just doing a verse a day. Like, that's my my plan, just to add in a verse each day as I go along. And um, and God God's helped me to get to this point where I've yeah been able to cover just over the first six chapters now. So it's been good. Um, but yeah, I've I've just really benefited from like you said, having having it in my mind and it coming up at random points in the day or getting to just you know practice it in the car on the way to, to work or something like that, you know, like it's just been really beneficial. Um, I think, I think it's been a process though. Like I, I, I've, I've had a bit of a relationship with memorizing God's word where in the past I, I did it for actually really poor reasons. Like I kind of wanted to be like that guy that could, that could know that verse in the Bible that would make me seem knowledgeable. And I think that's not just sad or maybe funny, but it's actually, it's really awful to, to, to twist God's word into something that would better my, or that would, I, I would try and use to better my mm. image in front of other people. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that God's transforming me by his spirit so that that's no longer a motive of mine, but I, I've just found so much benefit in just having God's word and, and um, yeah, in, in my head and, being massaged in my soul and it's just reminding me of the truths about god afresh like it's not it's no like new new revelation that i get um from doing this it's just been really encouraging um yeah thanks uh, for sharing on that now I, I mean speaking for me personally i know that sometimes it's really hard to engage with god's word um just the motivation isn't there the heart isn't there even though i wish it sort of was um, what have you guys done about that when you've experienced those sort of times? Maybe, Eleanor, we start with you. Um, I think, yeah, I, I relate to that a lot, often feeling like it's really hard. And I think that often comes down to the fact that it's less immediately gratifying or exciting than, like, other things maybe. It takes a bit more focus and a bit more effort. Um, that's something that I pray about a lot. I really lament that kind of part of my heart that doesn't want it as much as I wish I did. But I think what I was saying before about, like, listening to sermons I've listened to Tim Keller's sermons and I just kind of the like passion that he has when he speaks about things or when he explains something it kind of rubs off onto me and I'm like oh yeah like that is it kind of the when he preaches on a passage I'm able to look at it afresh and then I can kind of feel that joy that I maybe wouldn't have felt if I just read the bible by myself or saying like reading the bible with other people I've been reading the bible with Sherwin it's another EU and that's been super encouraging to kind of see someone else's perspective on it as well yeah Mm. Thanks, Eleanor. Uh, Caleb, what about you? What have you done when you've sort of found that the heart hasn't been sort of going, oh, I'm super keen? I mean, have you had times where your heart's gone, yeah, I'm super keen to read the Bible? Have you ever had that experience? Uh, I, d I did when I was in year nine, actually. It was kind of weird. I, I just had this real, like you, you kind of described this actually in the talk, like the, that long-lasting love isn't that initial infatuation but it's actually long-term commitment to that personal in this case to, to to god and and knowing his word and things um but in year nine i had this weird infatuation where i just wanted to read god's word and it wasn't transforming in the sense that i was i was doing a good job of living for god and bearing fruit in my life at all it was just weird but i i like i just read through the bible kind of twice that year and, and i mean it was it was cool, but it wasn't long lasting, you know, year 10 was then probably touched it four or five times that whole year. So it's just, you know, like um, those sorts of ups and downs, I guess, uh, um, 
yeah, in, in God's grace, something that um, I, I just want to be more consistent in it because it's so, so good to, <laughs> to have God's word. And, and I think something that I found helpful in that, um, in getting on that upward spiral is, um, is just having a, a bit of a regular um, routine or, or kind of just goal with it, like a, um, having a goal each day for what I do in, in terms of my, my smaller chunk of like memorizing and, and reading a, a bit of a larger chunk of a different part of God's word. Like I just kind of have that, that expectation of myself each day. And I think it's important for me that it's not like a, you know, it's not like a, this, um, I need to achieve this goal. Otherwise my, my status before God is affected. You know, that's, that's not my relationship with God is not dependent on, on my, or my status before God is not dependent on, on how good I am at, at reading his word and things. Um, but it's just been really helpful for me. Just, just helping me to get through those periods where it's harder. I think just having a small manageable goals like to, to do regularly. Yeah. Just being really practical, like um, time of day that you found or moment in day or a, or a physical space that works for you guys. Um, like for me, it's kind of uh, just before things start in the day, you know, it's not always like, 7 a.m or anything like that but kind of just before before stuff starts that's my aim normally yeah that's something I really want to I always try to find a time of the day that I can consistently do it and I feel like I'm not a morning person in the evening I'm too tired like that's something I've been really struggling mm. with and the afternoons get too busy I would really like to find like a regular time but I just feels like that's my constant like I should start doing that and then I just I struggle yeah no, I've recommended to some people sometimes that, um, like some people are just not routine people. Some people really are and it works brilliantly and some people just really are not. And I've encouraged people to, well, maybe you should become the champion at every Bible reading technique that there is. Right? You should just become the expert in sort of, I've done it in 15 different ways and, it, and you know, I just mix it up every week deliberately. Like there's no rule here. It's not about conforming to, it has to look like this. It's about the goal of getting God's word into our life, isn't it? Um, final final thing, just to encourage us, um, maybe a, a time where just when you've been engaging with God and listening to his word, something you found just when it was really encouraging to you or comforting or maybe really challenging, just a particular moment where you, know, you heard God through his word and it was significant for you. Start maybe, Eleanor. Yeah, sure. Um, so, like I mentioned, I've been reading the Bible with Sherwin, and we've been reading Proverbs for the last several months. Um, and something that I always notice as we read Proverbs that comes up again and again and again is like a call to really value advice. Like it's like the uh, wisdom is found in those who take advice. Wise people value counsel. The foolish person rejects it. Like wise people value rebuke. All that kind of thing. And I always appreciated that and thought it was very cool. And I didn't, I didn't particularly have anything to apply it to. I was just like, hmm, I don't know if I have that attitude, but it sort of interested me. And then uh, quite recently, I was in a situation where I had to make a decision, basically whether or not I would put myself in a position where I could be tempted. And I thought that I knew best and I would be able to resist temptation and it would be fine. And I chatted to my parents who are both Christian and they very strongly advised me that I shouldn't do it, that I should make a hard decision and not do that. And I was sort of feeling very con uh, conflicted and I was worried that I wouldn't know how to discern God's voice here and like 
wouldn't be able to tell what was God speaking to me and what was um, my own kind of selfish desires, what was my own anxious thoughts, maybe feelings of guilt. I didn't really know how to discern that. And then all of a sudden, just like the memory of the past few months of reading Proverbs just like hit me. And I was like, whoa, like take advice. Like I've been told that so many times. And then it just became really clear that God had been speaking to me. It wasn't like a voice from the sky, like Rome was saying, it wasn't, you know, a supernatural event, but it just became so clear. And I had this sort of sense of conviction and peace, like, oh yeah, the God has been talking to me and I know what I need to do now. I need to take my parents' advice, even though that's not the most kind of glamorous thing. And I feel like people our age don't like taking our parents' advice, but yeah, yeah. that's, that's, that's great. what I decided I had to do. Yeah. How about you, Caleb? Yeah, um, uh, one one comes to mind in the um, I've recently finished uh, reading the Gospel of John, and um, my my mum, who's pretty unwell at the moment, I wanted to write down a few like verses, and like she's a, she's a Christian, and wanted to encourage her with some things from God's word, and I was wondering what to what to think of, and kind of yeah, what came to mind was um, some of what Jesus says in John chapter six, like he just makes all these amazing promises um you know that that those that the father gives him he will never abandon they'll you know they'll be raised to have life you know if anyone takes the bread of life and eats it which he's saying is himself you know they'll never go hungry like it's just all these beautiful amazing promises all in just this space of such a short 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 passage and and um yeah god god just kind of i don't know it, well it seemed like he probably brought that to mind for me and 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 used that um, for me to write down but as I was writing this down and, and you know sent them off in the post to mum I actually just found myself being so encouraged by that myself uh, you know truths that that um, I guess we know as Christians that 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 you know of what God has said but but it's just so beautiful to be reminded afresh and so helpful for my my faith and my relationship with God yeah Thanks so much, Caleb and Eleanor, for sharing there. And uh, just it's just beautiful to hear how God speaks to us through his word and how he's done it in your lives. It's just been really encouraging. So thank you so much. Eleanor, would you mind wrapping up this session in prayer for us? And then everyone can have a bit of a break before we resume for our prayer and reflection groups at 12. Yeah, sure. Uh, please pray with me. Uh, bye. Thank you so much that you are, thank you that your word is alive and active and that it is sharper than any uh, two-edged sword, that it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. Thank you that you use it to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Father, we are deeply sorry for the times that we don't value your word. When we put off reading it until we've done other things, when we treat reading it as a chore, when we read it, but we don't put it into practice or let it change our hearts. Please help us to treasure your word, to hunger and thirst for it and to delight in reading it. Please use it to transform us more and more into the image of your son. Amen. Amen.